the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Situation Report, where we give you the information you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. Glad to have you with us today. My name is Jeremy Stolmacher. I'm here with Chad Robichaux and uh, excited about the topic today. And if I had a giant hot button right here and you could push the hot button topic and culture, this is the one. Yep. We're on it today. <laughs> this is the one. You might be upset. You might love it. You might jump up and applaud. You might turn around and walk out of the room. Uh, depends on where you sit on this issue. Today we're going to talk about the Second Amendment and gun rights in America. And uh, I, I believe, and I know that uh, Chad would agree with this, that without the Second Amendment, the other liberties that we hold dear as Americans go away. If, well, if I mean, we don't have that right, we don't have the others at all either. I mean, certainly the freedoms we, that, that we enjoy as Americans, but also the ability to ensure that we maintain those freedoms uh, from you know, people, people, foreign enemies and, yeah. and from, uh, from ourselves. Right. From ourselves and if, if we ever... Uh, face a government that would uh, ever try to take those freedoms away from us. And it's such a slippery slope because uh, obviously people want people to be safe. I want people in my communities to be safe. Yep. And so you start wanting to, feeling this maybe desire, well, that maybe that rule uh, it helps. Yep. But that slope starts to slide and we don't know where that line right. gets drawn. And it's very difficult for people to understand. And so I think we've got a great guest on today yep. uh, to talk about that. And this is, uh, again, this is one of those issues where we do our best on this show to kind of keep our opinions out of it. This is a harder one to do that. We yeah. definitely have an opinion, yeah. um, me, me a very and, strong opinion. Myself and my rifles have right? opinions. <laughs> right, we so. have a strong opinion on this. But um, also understand that a lot of folks who would watch this show, hopefully, um, may have a different opinion. And, and our goal really is not to tell you what to think. Uh, we can tell you what we think, but not to tell you what to think, but to put the information on the table so that you can decide what you believe on this issue and uh, come to hopefully... Um, a solid conclusion and one that you can defend. So our guest today, as uh, Chad mentioned, very excited to have Mike Glover with us. Mike, uh, just drove in from Prescott, Arizona. I did, I did. Yeah. Thank you for having me. All the way after a long day of training yesterday. That's just a, a business. It's like I'm in an office space moving down the road, so I got a lot of work done. So it's, it's all good stuff. I appreciate you coming out and being with us. Mike's, uh, Mike's resume um, and an impressive resume and points right to this issue. I'm going to read some of these things. Mike spent 18 years in the United States Army. Uh, and served as a government contractor, served in special forces in various positions, deployed multiple times to combat theaters, so real-life experience. Uh, currently an expert in counterterrorism, security, crisis management operations, and is the host of the Fieldcraft, uh, Fieldcraft Survival Podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. You guys have a huge podcast, and uh, hopefully we'll talk more about that. Spent a lot of time outdoors. Um, one of your specialties is overland uh, travel and overland uh, maneuver. Um, you hunt, you do kind of all the man stuff out there, in, out there in Arizona. I'm sure some women do that stuff too, but, uh, yeah. you know, Especially I aspire, in Arizona. I aspire yeah, to be I like you yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, but in all of that, you're also the CEO of Fieldcraft Survival. We've got some uh, specific questions, of course, but can you, uh, jump into, um, before we get into that, jump into Fieldcraft Survival. Tell us what you guys do, how you do it, why you do it, and why you transition from a military career into uh, the work you're doing now. Yeah, I thought, I thought when I got out, I was going to be a tactical instructor, just like most of us do. Uh, it's just par for the course with a tactical background. 
Uh, survival for me was a genre that was kind of unexplored. Mm. You typically think about naked and afraid and stuff like that when you think about survival centric, right. but I wanted to do something more in modern survival. Uh, I kind of figured if we went out and hit a foreign safe house full of terrorists and we came out of that situation, but we did that every single night almost, that there was something to that in preparation, rehearsal, equipment, training, etc. And so I wanted to get back to civilian society because I realized, hey, civilians aren't prepared in this, this mm, sense. Right. So basic planning, basic equipment, uh, we keep it really basic and really simple. Um, but yeah, it's become my passion and my purpose. I just basically took all my hobbies that I love to do in the military and my, my life and made it my, yeah. my passion. For me. Yeah. Why is the Second Amendment important when we talk about that? You know, it, here's how I frame, I'll frame the response to this. Uh, when I was in the military and special operations, we did a lot of 1207-1208 programs, which are congressionally mandated programs where we went and trained counterterrorism forces to defend their country, themselves, and their families. And the way we did that was congressionally, it was mandated, meaning voted upon, and then that released the budgets and released special operations members to deploy overseas. I've done this in Libya, Afghanistan, Africa, Iraq, all over the, the world. And the way we do that is we arm host nation forces, we train, assist, and advise, and then uh, take out dictators, uh, proxy governments, bad, bad actors. And that's how we roll when we're instilling freedom in the Middle East or throughout the world in global pursuit. So it's real easy to me that the Second Amendment is a means for a balance of powers between the people mm. and a government. What's uh, in, in the Second Amendment that talks about a well-regulated well militia? What's a re- what's a well-regulated militia look like to the you know to those of us who don't even understand what a militia really is? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't like that terminology. The yeah. the, the way it outlines it as it's uh, interpreted, right? right. It, when it's interpreted, it's it's like it should be governed. It right. should be regulated. Um, and that's what a lot of people say. That, yeah, that's what people yeah. say, and and I think that, that therein lies the problem because. If I'm training, for example, Phil Kraus Survival, my company, trains civilians to be better prepared. We, have a, we even have a membership in that called the tribe. And so you could look at my tribe, and because I called it tribe and didn't call it militia, and because you're the government, you could dictate and go, you know what, we don't like this kind of verbiage because he's still training and equipping and preparing these civilians, and this looks like a militia, so we're going to come in here and, and you know, infer that this is a re- well-regulated militia and we're going to take away their rights to bear arms. I don't like that that verbiage, right. or more so, I don't like the interpretation. We were talking about the Second Amendment the other day, and they were against you know, our traditional understanding of the Second Amendment. And they said something like this, if you believe that gun ownership is to protect you as a citizen from the government, then you have no idea how tanks work. That was his statement, and that was kind of his dismissive statement about uh, you know, citizens being able to defend themselves. When we talk about that safeguard or that firewall between the citizens and a tyrannical government, um, there's a couple aspects of that. One is, what would it look like for the citizens of any country to stand up against a tyrannical government you know, with guns? And I think in the United States, when we talk about 350 million people or whatever we have, and we have more guns than we have people, um, just the thought of that is outrageous to a lot of folks. What does that look like, A, if it happened? Um, but then maybe more specifically or beyond that, is that something that will happen or is it simply the firewall that keeps that from taking place? 
That's a good question. I think it's the I think it's both. Mm-hmm. I think it's a firewall, but also it's a balance of, of power versus people. Uh, look, it's we the people. So the, the, the instance that you gave where the person didn't agree because uh, of individuals bearing arms, it's the collective. And what it looks like is it looks like Libya. I mean, I was in Libya September, the end of September, early October, right after Benghazi in 2012. I deployed as a counterterrorism unit to go capture and kill uh, members of al-Qaeda responsible for the attack in Benghazi. And then uh, we stood up a 1208 program uh, to develop a counterterrorism program of Libyans to defend their own country. So as I got there, my biggest challenges were budget constraints and then assimilating men that were willing to defend their country. And what that looks like is when Gaddafi was overthrown, we had a part in, in, in the game of assimilating, recruiting and assessing, and then training, advising, and equipping men who were willing to fight for their country and out, you know, throw out a, a dictator who was Gaddafi at the time. Now, whether or not you believe that's right or wrong, the power that was lost was the absence of arms. When the people had no means of protecting themselves, Gaddafi was using tanks against his own people. They were using technicals. They were using machine guns and airplanes. But the balance that we uh, injected was, hey, let's equip these guys, let's train these guys, and let's give them a fighting chance. And that's what we did. And what happened? Gaddafi falls out, and, and the rest really is history. I mean, you could go down yeah. five different roads with that. Yeah. And, and that's, play, that's played out in many, many nations throughout our throughout recent history. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're sitting in California right now, right? Uh, beautiful, Cal- it's, it's, it's beautiful outside here. Yeah. But uh, obviously, it's not a, a favorable, favorable uh, place when it comes to Second Amendment. And so we we uh, we see things like uh, what's the magazine magazine release buttons, right? With yeah, what yeah. With some, uh, I mean the bullet button. The bullet button, yeah. I mean mm-hmm. all these all these kind of things being imposed on the citizens of California. Is it? A, I mean, I think I know the answer, but is it infringement on on our Second Amendment? Is it against our our constitutional rights to put these rules and regulations and laws on, on uh, citizens of California? Yeah, I believe so. I believe there's no doubt in my mind that. Any regulations that have to do with firearms, which is a miscalculation, by the way. Right. It's a misinterpretation of, one, constitutional rights, but also a misinterpretation of being educated formally of what firearms do in the first place. Right. Like the fact that we look at magazines, for example, as the issue, or maybe a carbine because we call it a weapon of war because right. it's used by military members, when I know which weapons are the most dangerous. A long gun, for example, is more lethal because you could be out of sight, out of sound, and inflict more casualties. Uh, there, there's great examples of this, but overall, California, like we trained the most people in the United States in California. Ceres, California, Paris, California, Central Valley, all the way to San Francisco. I just trained all the academy officers, the instructors at the California Highway Patrol in Sacramento. And so between the law enforcement perspective and then the citizens, they are being overregulated and taxed in, in many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at San Francisco as a test bed for that, as a case study for that, the place is falling apart. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, it's, it, I mean, just Google San Francisco problems, and that's all you'll see. So outside of firearms, it's becoming a systemic issue. Mm-hmm. But when we start to do this, what we're not keeping in balance is, um, again, the regulation of the government and the overpower of government versus the people. I wanted to take a minute to let our audience know about the work that we do through an incredible veterans nonprofit called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Many of our nation's warriors struggle with the hardships of military service and reintegration back into civilian life. 
Often they leave broken homes in their aftermath and comprise one of the most at-risk groups for suicide, with over 20 veterans who take their lives every single day. Mighty Oaks tackles this critical issue with our faith-based peer-to-peer resiliency and recovery programs offered at no cost to our honored servicemen and women at beautiful ranches across the United States. Mighty Oaks has one of the highest success rates of any program available anywhere. Visit MightyOaksPrograms.org to learn more about how you can make a direct impact in the lives of our servicemen and women to help them find a new life purpose through hope in Christ. Again, that's MightyOaksPrograms.org. Witnessing the transformation that these men and women go through is absolutely incredible. There are no words to describe seeing warriors restored to the lives they were created to live, changing their legacies for eternity. Your support is needed now more than ever and will ensure that our programs are here for our warriors who are in desperate need. Again, the website is MightyOaksPrograms.org. And look, most I lived in Jackson, California, in Amador County. Mm-hmm. My sheriff of my county, which I think sheriffs are the most you know, underrated uh, politicians, sure. politically affiliated and elected, right. um, that have the most power. They said, hey, this is a sanctuary county. We will not enforce any of those laws. And most rural counties that I work with, from Central Valley down to Paris, California, believe this. Yeah. And the law enforcement officers I talk to are not enforcing this. Now, they'll use it, obviously, as a weapon sure. when, we're, when we're talking about somebody who's a criminal with criminal intent. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a whole bunch of problems with California, and firearm regulation is one yeah. of them. Well, I think they know, they know it, what we know, and which, which I believe would be common sense, is these laws or say they're written with the saying they're going to, they're, their intent is to save life, but the only people really following these laws are law-abiding citizens. Yeah. You know, we all know that it's against the law to, to murder someone, yeah. and so a murderer doesn't follow that law, so why would he follow a gun regulation law? It's just, it just seems like a very, uh, common sense. Yep. So what, 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 what impact does gun ownership have on public safety in, in general? Well, I mean, statistically, if you look at, even the numbers that we, that uh, politicians on the left and right are spouting about, mm-hmm. they are skewing the numbers based on the incentive they want for their constituents. And that's that's common in empowerment in politicians. Mm-hmm. But if you take the overall number of this year or of last year, which I just recently looked into, 15,000 people died from firearms. It used to be 40,000. I thought it was 150 million. Yeah, well, it might have been 150 million. Can <laughs> we just hear that? Yeah, depending on what debate stage it was. But it's, if we look at 15,000 versus 40,000, 40,000 people, they don't talk about the 60% of that 40,000 that are suicide, right? Right. And the, or the 15,000 that we're concentrating on, we say it's gun violence, but we don't take in self-defense, which is a part of that, or accidental shooting deaths, yeah. which is a part of that statistic. Yeah. So I think we have a lot of propaganda spinning in the airwaves. Very air misleading. It's very misleading. Yeah. Intentionally, too. Absolutely, it's yeah. intentional. Yeah. I mean, more people, more people this season in, in a four-month span have died from the flu than have died from guns in ent- an entire year. 45,000 people died from the flu from October to February 1st. And we don't pay attention to that because it skews the, the concentration and efforts of you know, politicians looking for their agendas. And I, I don't like that because I deal, in, especially my company, with facts with science, with data, um, and we're skewing the data here just to make it fit our agenda. Is it really about safety? Is it about partisan politics, or is it about control? Like what, what, what? Uh, maybe a combination of yeah. everything. I, I, what I tell people is, 
I ask people who are on the left side of guns and who don't want to deal with guns, have you ever been a victim of violence? Yeah. That's what I ask. And the answer is no. Have you ever had somebody in your circle that was a victim of violence? The answer might be no. Then I say, let me give you a scenario. If somebody came into your home right now and was going to kill you in your home and you have no means of defending yourself and I told you you could have a gun or I'm going to take your gun and I'm the government, what option would you do to defend your life and your family's life? Most rational people would say, I would want the gun to defend my life. But those people who live in complacency are only in complacency because they haven't confronted the truth or they haven't been confronted with the reality. And that, that's a big problem with survival that I teach in preparedness in the first place, which is a lot of times the complacency that's instilled is this idea that if I'm safe right now, then I'm safe tomorrow and the next day. But that's not the reality of how violent crime works in our country. I mean, if you look at violent crime across the United States, it has decreased in certain elements, but murder hasn't. The overall homicide rates haven't. Uh, we take active shooting, for example, which is a a key component to the political agenda to talk about it left or right. There was 300-ish active shootings that killed 517 uh, people, I believe, over 500 people. But 11 teens today died texting and driving. 30,000 people a year die in vehicle accidents. But again, we're concentrated on the wrong stuff if the intent is to save people's lives. Right, if that's, yeah. the, if that's, the, if that's the intent. Right. When we put in the hands of politicians the ability to decide who gets to own a gun and who doesn't. That's dangerous. That's a very dangerous (laughs) place for the rest of us. So how do you navigate that conversation or do you just not navigate it and it's it's just a risk that we take in this conversation about gun ownership? No, I think it must be navigated. It must be discussed. I was on, I actually in this, uh, it's interesting because in this specific topic of red flag, uh, flag laws as well as investigations and background checks, I was on one side of this. I said, absolutely, we should do background checks. Until I realized that the universal background check was creating a database. And then it was collecting information like how many guns are people allowed to have or how many do they have. How, like just in California, like, like in California, how much ammo you're buying. And then the allocation of ammo looks at it and it just creates a spreadsheet. It's like red, amber, green. I'm looking at the red and I'm seeing what guys have the most ammo. And then if I'm the Department of Justice in California, which has ousted most federal entities, I could use that as a means to serve warrants on law-abiding citizens or to create criminals for my own uh, law-abiding citizens. And so I think the problem that lies within red flag laws is the interpretation, like you said. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've worked for the government. I mean, I worked in the military and the CIA for over 20 years. Inherently, I understand how inefficient the government is because of people. People are flawed. Right. They are not, they're, insuffi- they're insufficient in many ways, and they're not very optimized when it comes to decision making. And, and the, the greatest point of that is the way you look at a gun, an AR-15, the assault weapons ban. So you say a gun's an automatic gun, it's dangerous, it's a weapon of war. In nine combat rotations to war, in a hundred plus gunfights, I've never once used an automatic weapon or I used an automatic function of a weapon to inflict mm-hmm. casualties. So, it, again, it's a skewed reality based probably on Hollywood and not based on reality. So when I look at red flag laws, it scares the hell out of me because I am a disabled, combat disabled veteran. I'm 100% disabled, permanent and total. Most of that lies in the post-traumatic stress realm. 
But if you took me and you took somebody who didn't understand and I said, I had PTSD, they would go, oh, okay, you're, you're crazy. But I'm not crazy. In fact, our P- we talked about this on the podcast, yeah. the way that we operate because we are on the top 1% of the military and we're serving deliberately in that function is that we don't have a problem with things that normal soldiers have a problem with. But the assumption is I might be crazy. Right. You red flag me, then all of a sudden I'm a criminal overnight because I own guns. I don't want you to track my guns. I don't want you to keep a database on my guns. And I sure as hell don't want you to interpret that I'm crazy based on a spreadsheet, a, a, a paragraph line and number. Yeah. You know, that's a dangerous precedent. So yeah. I think two things. One uh, is there are a lot of veterans that feel the exact same way. And so they are unwilling to get help for post-traumatic stress and other things because yeah. they're afraid that if they red flag themselves, that their rights will be taken away. So that's a huge issue. But the other part of that is, okay, then what do you do when someone says, we've got to figure out who the bad guys are and we've got to be, be able to take the guns away from them? Yeah, I think it's balance, right? I, th- yeah. I mean, criminal, criminal intent um, met with a criminal record, meaning there's a difference between the ideology and then executing the ideology, right? Yeah. There's a whole bunch of interpretations, but until the person has committed a violent act with a proven track record, yeah. then why are we interpreting anything? Right. It's absolute. You're a violent offender, uh, and this could be in several different categories, then I think you should be restricted from firearms. Yeah. I also think, and this is, I, I probably will catch flack for this, but it's okay. I also think that if you are a violent offender and you've served your time, that your record should be expunged. And I, I believe that because I believe in redemption. I believe everybody makes mistakes. I've made mistakes. And if I didn't get a second chance in certain ways, then I would never be in the position I'm in now. And I think when you take somebody who's, who's committed a crime, and then you say, for the rest of life, I am not going to allow you to own a firearm to defend your life or your family's life, Again, that we're setting the wrong precedent. Right. That's yeah. not how we should operate. Okay. Uh, there's a whole bunch of issues. I would, there, I would back you up on that. I believe the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. What is uh, as we conclude this conversation? We could talk about this for a long time, but what are some of the best resources um, that you've seen or you have available to you? Uh, places that you would point people who who really want to have a serious discussion and and come to serious conclusions on this conversation. People that are trying to really understand this debate and really understand what they should do. Uh, what are some resources that you would point them to? Uh, the first one I would point them to is usacarry.com. Uh, we actually worked with the, the CEO of usacarry.com, which is an educational platform for you to go and see laws per state, per district of where you're located at, and then how you could get better involved in uh, the legislation, but also involved in training. Like you said, the, the biggest problem is a lot of people um, are scared of guns because they're uneducated about guns. The more we educate, the more we inform, the more people will understand what a firearm actually is. Uh, I think our, our podcast, the Phil Krauss Survival Podcast, is a great resource on iTunes, Luminary, SoundCloud, Spotify, because when we're interviewing people, uh, we are educating people, and we want people to be better educated on the realities mm-hmm. of what guns are intended for. Yeah. Uh, it's not an entertainment device. It's not, it's not a, a weapon. It should be, not be used as a weapon against other people. It is a means to defend your life and yourself. Right. Yeah. Um, you guys have a lot of great resources and tons of information on social media. Where can people follow you and learn more about Fieldcraft Survival, but also the work that you guys are doing? Uh, our biggest platforms that we are active on are 
at Phil Craft Survival on Instagram, at uh, Phil Craft Survival on Facebook, as well as the Phil Craft Survival podcast. Uh, YouTube is super active. We do a, a video a week that's information and content-based, informative and content-based, where we want to educate the public, military, and law enforcement about best practices yep. in self-defense. And I really appreciate the work that you do. Yeah. No, thanks, guys. Well, I appreciate you, you guys. Yeah. Thank you. It's a very important conversation, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this. It's yes. a huge, huge conversation, but some big takeaways from today. And I'll give you the situation report as it stands, some, uh, some things that are important for you to take away. Here's one, number one. The Second Amendment is a fundamental right, and the other liberties that we enjoy are liberties that cannot be protected apart from the Second Amendment. We need to understand the relationship of those things. Uh, number two, although misunderstood, a community that lifts up the Second Amendment and gun ownership among its citizens is a safer community. We sometimes get this upside down. We think it's the other way around, but it absolutely is not. Uh, those communities that value gun ownership are safe communities. The third one is this, and I, I would just encourage every viewer with this truth. There's a lot of information, real information, statistics, uh, things that are real and not politically motivated or politically driven or uh, just super <laughs> hyper out there. Everyone's upset about this. Uh, there are actual statistics and actual facts that are available to you if you'll research this. Take some time to step back from your own, uh, perhaps, ideology. Look at the information and come to a solid, real conclusion based on fact. And I think you'll be happy that you did. So thanks for this. No, thank thanks you. for the thanks conversation. So much, we appreciate thanks, it. Guys. Long drive. Thank, thank you. you. It's all good. Thank <laughs> you. All right. We'll do it again. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you next time. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.